0: What's up, Metalheads? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder Podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talk Louder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we are going deep, man. We are geeking out more than we usually geek out today. I think it's, think it's fair to say, uh, we have Jason's former bandmate guitarist, Billy White from Watchtower is with us today on the talk louder podcast. And I know a lot of people have been waiting to have, uh, Billy featured on the show. Uh, Watchtower still has a pretty widespread underground audience and, uh, We get requests all the time for Watchtower dudes. So, And Billy might be the most private of the bunch. I don't know. But uh, getting him today was kind of a score. And of course, I owe that to my co-host, Jason McMaster. Well,
1: you know whose idea it was to to, you know who first brought up having Billy as a guest? Because I know Billy personally and I know that he is I wouldn't say he's not a recluse. He's a busy guy. Yeah, Just not uh, playing out Playing rock star to right. just put it in a cartoony sentence, right? Right. Uh, Jared, our producer, Jared Tootin, brought it he was, up. and said, like, hey, you think you get Billy White? You know, yeah. just because, probably because of something related to what you said that, yeah, that he's, he's, na- people love Billy. They do, and they respect him. Yeah, and Bob, uh, Bob Catlin loves Billy White. Yeah. And I love Bob Catlin, therefore I love Billy White. There you go. That's not a haiku, but I tried. (laughs) I didn't, I don't even know what a haiku is. So listen, the things, the things that we got to talk to Billy about today range from sun to earth's core
0: all over the place and that was kind of the point and, yeah. and he's just the, he's the man to do it too because he's been all over the place uh, Yeah,
1: he's not confused one bit he's constantly growing and v- super let's call him i'll coin it here he's a super progressive hmm. um musically spiritually uh he's one of the friendliest people ever. Yeah. Uh, and I think people are going to get to know him. I mean, I could go into the kiss intro. You wanted the best. You got the best <laughs> billiest white in the world, you know, um, in, in this episode, um, I read passages from when I mean, we didn't get really, really get to talk about this book here. Uh, we read pass. I read read some passages from this book called Mean Deviation. Mm-hmm. This is uh, four decades of progressive of progressive heavy metal. You may recognize the artwork by the wonderful Away, drummer for Voivod. Yep. Uh, he's on the back as well. They, you can imagine the bands they talk about in here, but it's all about uh, hard rock and heavy metal that um, deviates from the norm of, you know, ACDC or or Twisted Sister. you know, just for good old rock and roll. Right. A guy, Jeff Wagner, wrote this. Uh, Ron Jarzombek and I were interviewed for this. Uh, Mike Portnoy, it's no surprise he's all over this. Uh, He might be the first person throughout the first few chapters to first say Watchtower. It might have been the author who mentions Watchtower the first, but throughout this, Watchtower is mentioned, and I wanted to kind of like hold this up as a flag to to show Billy that something that he helped create, um, whether I was involved or not, I'm, because I didn't create Watchtower, I helped create where it where it got taken, right? Right, dude. Billy and Doug and Rick, really, I give all the credit to to helping create what Watchtower became, and I wanted to remind Billy, it's like, dude, come on, you know yeah and so i'm I'm attempting to be humble here by sort of like squeezing myself out of the picture a little bit because this is mine and your show. It's our show, so I'm, you know I might yeah throughout this episode you can much like now you can tell how excited I am to just talk and hang out with my friend Billy White,
0: yeah, he was great, and you know you know i I can vouch for the fact that as a guy who has a lot of friends who are still every bit as enthusiastic about heavy metal as they were when they were 16 years old. I got a lot of friends that point to that album, Energetic Disassembly. And to this day, they, they, they hail it as one of the most important records in their collection. If they're musicians, they, they praise it as one of the most influential albums on their own musical careers or their own musical path or whatever. So Amazing that something you guys started as kids has uh, been recognized. And not only by my friends, I mean, it, that book is is living proof. There's a whole book about technical thrash metal and Watchtowers mentioned throughout
1: It's a bazillion points publishing. Uh, this thing rules. If you like weird metal, I mean, they talk about Merciful Fate and Voivod and, they're t- you know, it's, it gets heavy in here. It's yeah. Funny, but they're, they're talking about crazy shit in here. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Wagner, look him up too. He just killed I'm aware it. of the name, yes. Yeah. yeah he It's a yeah. killer book. I'm surprised you don't have it, Dave. Uh, ah, yeah. I need to talk to Away.
0: Maybe you can give Away a phone call
1: for I don't me. think Away has an extra one.
0: <laughs> anyway, great talk today with Billy White. We cover Watchtower, obviously. We cover his time in Don Dawkins band. We cover All Points in Between and we get to know a little bit about where he is today in his life. A really interesting dude. I would say uh, as complex as his music, uh, but also very peaceful. It's, he's an interesting guy. I really enjoyed getting to know him, Billy White today on the Talk Louder podcast.
1: I want to. I want to just blow your mind immediately. Yes. Please.
2: what are we looking at (coughs) tell us billy what are we looking at wow uh let me see if i can remember i guess i drew that back in high school or something you did draw this
1: back in high school this is on um, like a canvas board i think they call that with probably some kind of sharpie or rapidio graph and for those of you not watching, it's uh, Rush Neil Peart. It's autographed. You can see Billy's. Oh, did I sign Senate? it? Yeah. B-White <laughs> right there. Uh, obviously, this is from when you were about 16
2: years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed you ha- you have that. Um, I just recently went through clearing out the house. You remember the house on Fizé? It's sold. And, uh, yeah. We cleared the whole place out, and I had there were some old drawings, and most of them I just kind of tossed, you know oh, I, no I, you know, I think I have some things I could send you, Jason, because you appreciate them more than i do. I mean those I, are a well, bit of an archivist, I guess, a bit of an yeah, I don't save things at all, so uh, mm. my mom had kept a lot of things from yeah. back in the day. Yeah, wow. uh, I, there's some collectors
0: out there that would be interested in seeing that. I'm sure.
2: <laughs> well, I do have a few things still. Maybe we should talk, Jason, and you give me an address, and yeah. I can send you. things. Yeah,
1: I've I've got more than that. but I won't. I'll just I'll just throw that one up there.
2: You will not embarrass I, I've, me. I've, yeah, I don't, don't want to
1: embarrass you too much. Then you already will. We then we will be embarrassing you throughout the program.
2: I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know it's like another lifetime and I, i'm having yeah when can, you show something like that it's like a flashback to you a, a
1: Yeah. right right i'm gonna put my glasses on i usually wear my glasses but i like those glasses um, thank you i've been trying to have you ever seen this well i'm not gonna do that i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read to you guys for a second okay? story time. Hey, story time okay Influenced by metal's most ambitious pioneers and various jazz and prog rock artists, bands such as San Diego's Psychotic Waltz, Austin, Texas' Caustic Watchtower, and their German doppelgangers Sieges Even, emerged and took the genre into yet more technically demanding areas. Watchtower particularly touched off a movement and sound that focused obsessively on technicality and their influence spread across the globe and across subgenres like wildfire. Indeed, metal's avant garde was taking off in a variety of different directions on a global scale. Wow. So let me. Start with that, I have more, I have more. This is from a book called Mean Deviation. I'll hold it up, obviously away from Voivod did the art. This came out early 2000s or I don't know, mid 2000s. After hearing me vomit that garbledy gook all over you, which actually I'm extremely proud to read since uh, we, I was a part of that movement they speak of. I know the answer to this, but to listeners and to Dave, when you were a teenager, did you realize that you were going to be part of something that would change the way looked at rock and roll?
2: (laughs) No, no idea. Man, you know how it was. We were just kids having fun and, and coming up with the wildest stuff we could think of. And, uh, you know, looking back now, it's even hard to remember what the motivation was, or what my frame of mind was. But I, I do know it did feel like we were doing something no one else was doing, at least in, in the Austin area, you know, and uh, I, it's hard to it into context but when i read when i hear something like that or read something like that you know it sounds quite impressive yeah Uh,
1: well well and they're not leaving anybody else out i mean they're mentioning bands that they're seemingly i don't like put words in anybody's mouth but they're seemingly pointing at bands that seem to be following what what you create what I'll, i'll put myself in there that we yes. created that I helped you create they're pointing at people that sort of came immediately after when they after they like we were uh, uh um the birth, the, birth, the birth of something mm-hmm. that they hopped into or were influenced whatever but they didn't leave any predecessors out you know they're of course they're and of course that was just a I, a grab from a page from this book about progressive rock, uh, yeah. metal, basically. But they go, you know, they talk about all of the obvious, you know, Priest, Maiden, uh, and, you know, Queensryche and Fate's Warning and Merciful Fate and, of course, Metallica and Megadeth and these bands that had seven-minute songs with five, ten different riffs in one song. Mm. And, and however they're however they're coming up with you, and they're even giving us credit in this book and i i lean towards you and i want to say you every time i say we because and i'll get to that more uh they they didn't know what to call it mm-hmm. there's a quote at the beginning of this chapter while i'm talking about it i might as well just get it out
2: uh while, uh, I while think I like listening to to what you're saying. I'm trying to not, I'm trying to
1: not, yeah, that's great. I'm trying to not be emotional because it kind of is. This is in quotes and it's obviously me. uh, They took this quote from, uh, this is chapter six of this book called killed by tech is what that chapter is called. (laughs) Um, tech battle. Tech metal, quote, (laughs) was a term we coined on our flyers without feeling like it was going to become some kind of genre, but we had to call it something. We we knew it was different, and we didn't want people to think that they were just coming to see a rock and roll band. So we were, quote again, the harvesters of technical thrash metal watchtower, and then it says... Jason McMaster watchtower okay so good quote good thanks quote. but you know when I want to say it was kind of you that started making our once we I mean Billy you you like started drawing I mean I already embarrassed you with your Neil Pert sketch but you were drawing our earliest flyers when i remember and even even when i got your phone number off the wall at a music store when i was Mm -hmm. trying to look for a guitar player for my band fallen angel and then we the the ball just rolled out of control by from then on. uh right that you had drawn that, it was like a castle turret with a dragon and watchtower, and available available for parties, and it, <laughs> that's all it said. Yeah, <laughs> you were a teenager; you weren't old enough to play in a bar, you know. Right. Available for parties, and remember when you could do this? You could just free, openly <laughs> give out your home phone number to your mom's house, you know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just.
1: <clears throat> but what and you just said you know heavy metal it was like you just watchtower dot 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 heavy metal when did that change heavy metal oh. it wasn't heavy metal anymore off of the quote that I just read from this book when did that change
2: I mean well to go back a little bit you know all the drawings and, and the the visual and conceptual Uh, Origin. I think I was really into science fiction, you know, and so monster movies, all the Japanese monster movies, and uh, all the the trippy sci-fi stuff, and the movie called Heavy Metal. Remember that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, There was something there where I crossed over from you know being a kid into all the sci-fi movies and and monster movies into this big sound, you know, I figured out, okay, you can use a guitar and uh, make this huge wave of sound. Um, I'm seeing kiss a kiss poster behind you there. So kiss meets the Phantom. I remember, you know, this movie where these guys were like larger than life, sci fi superheroes. And uh, they did it with guitars and you know, hard rock and then um what
1: was that movie that you used to really like i think you would you would go see it like once a year or it was maybe it was a midnight movie i'm gonna get it wrong fantastic planet
2: so oh, yeah that, remember that what was, i'm talking about yeah did we go see that in midnight movies? Maybe.
1: <laughs> maybe Did I get the did i get the title right
2: Fantastic Planet. I think that's right. It's a French animated film. That's right. Very strange. Uh, very very, yeah. su- very surreal. So I like that kind of surreal psychedelic uh, take. Oh.
1: Um, Dave, Dave, I'm gonna. You jump in whenever you want. No, I was just. I was gonna kind
0: of go yeah. back to a little something that that Jason kind of started and and. I wanted to ask obviously when you're you know a kid and you're creating the album that became energetic disassembly uh obviously at that time you're you're too young to know that this is going to be something that's going to last and people are going to reference it as a as a milestone album or as an influential album you don't realize all that when you're a young kid and you're putting this together but all these years later I'm sure you've heard it a million times at this point. And it's not just from from geeks like me that are walking the street. You know, it's it's guys from Dream Theater and the guys in Metallica. And they all reference you as if not as an influence, at least acknowledge you. Um, you, you have to take a certain amount of either pride or just a certain amount of disbelief in knowing that something you created
2: at such a young
0: age has stood the test of time like that.
2: I still don't know that I know that, you know, but it's, it is amazing to hear. And, uh, it's been so long that I've really listened to any of it or, um, kind of referenced that. So it is strange. You know, it does feel like a a different person or a different life.
1: Yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about that and, and where you are uh with your life now just spiritually and everything i want to get to that later okay yeah yeah sure because it's very important it's very important because there's no limelight right you're not that's not you're not in it let's talk about while we're talking about drawing and art and things like that and and influences you had as a can i say child Because because we were children when we were, you know, beating on guitars and microphones in your bedroom uh, uh, in North Austin. Um, You know that when people talk about energetic disassembly, the 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 influential and arguably the uh, pioneer of technical thrash metal they're looking their whole when they're whole if they're lucky enough to have a pressing of it they're holding or just a bootleg or whatever they're holding your drawing they're holding a part of your intellectual property billy they're those red triangles and the silver ah. technical computer motherboard thing and that you came up with your own font and every that's from yeah. your brain through your fingers and hand onto blah, I did not know that that's insane. Billy's and was responsible yeah. for the album cover, yeah, Billy was the resident
0: artist, Wow, did not know that. well, there's another thing, Billy, that goes back to my question so now you know Look
1: at Billy, he looks confused <laughs> like like <laughs> well, you, you know think, I, did I draw that? I don't think I drew that, but that that kind of goes
2: I, I, I do have I have a memory of that, yeah. Yeah, it, that kind of goes to back be, to what I was. You no. Know,
0: yeah, that 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 goes back to Sorry. what I was saying about you know musically, you didn't realize what you were creating, but I remember looking through metal magazines and seeing Lars Ulrich wearing a Watchtower T-shirt, and that's your art. You know, yeah. you drew that. I mean, that, yeah. that's gotta that's gotta boggle your mind.
2: You know. <laughs> You know, life boggles my mind. Everything boggles my mind. <laughs> but that definitely, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it's quite surreal. It is quite surreal. And uh, I, I'm i kind of amazed. And and I, looking back, Jason, you know, I don't want to downplay any of this. No. We did something pretty extraordinary. And we were so driven and so... Um, obsessed with that music and that, that form of expression that, you know, in a certain way, it doesn't surprise me because, uh, and I guess anybody at that age, anybody who's starting a band that, uh, in that genre or or most genres has that kind of driven, obsessive, um, propulsion towards expressing something. Um, Well, it it could
1: have had something to do with uh, emotional, whether we realized it or not, emotional instability.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: Hormonal craziness.
2: Yeah. Um, Crazy kids. Yeah. On
1: top of it just literally seemed like you got like a body of water and you got a hot wire that's fresh cut, like literally an electric hot wire that's freshly cut open near a body of water. Like for a period of like, like a, well, the other stuff is probably closer to the real, the emotionally, lost and you don't even know who we are yet because it's not our fault because we're young but finding music or, or this this heavy metal I'd just say, you know, it, frantic music you know, this is, this is crazy, right uh, fluffy, loud
2: um, It was a very of- a lot of adrenaline I remember the shows yeah. and those was, was such a it was like riding a tidal wave, you know, of energy.
1: Yeah, in, in such a short time, too, I feel like. It's like a flash.
2: Yeah, those it did years, happen. For-
1: those years are a flash.
2: You know, it's interesting. I mean, any band like that, it, it's a it's a very interesting karmic uh, coming together of different people and, and everyone in that band... Um, those early days of Watchtower was, had so much uh, ability on their instrument and a certain kind of driven vision, you know. Mm. I think of the early days with Rick, we would be playing and listening to Frank Zappa and, and King Crimson and all this crazy stuff. And then merging that with the stuff that you and I listened to, all the British new wave of heavy metal bands and everything, you know. It was a very interesting juxtaposition. And
1: uh, (laughs) I I remember just you um, and and I don't think it was when we were going to high school together, when we were at Robbins that you moved over from uh, those were good times when you moved over from McAllen to mccallum to uh to robbins and got your ged and well, you you <laughs> hope that's okay that i mentioned you got your ged
2: i got a diploma oh, you well, did. I, we finished early though didn't we yeah, yeah we got it yeah. you,
1: you, you did i am not proud of it a high school dropout ladies and gentlemen
2: congratulations thank you yeah.
1: thank you <laughs> But, but yeah, I remember you, you got in and got out, but I remember during those times, it was probably 83, 84 that uh-huh. you, you were, and I remember this and I like this. You were, had just, we had discovered, uh, both Queensryche and merciful fate on the same day, on the same day. I, I've talked about, well, I've talked about this, this, this day, uh, on the show before, uh referencing something else but um probably style uh but i bought the first queens reich ep like four songs or whatever you know lady Were black queen of the reich uh what there was something what are the other songs on there Night rider Night rider thank you and,
2: uh, how do you guys have memories for these things
1: <laughs> i know right and then and then the the merciful fate ep with the black and white cover nuns have no fun Corpse Without a Soul, Devil eyes, and there's one more. Anyway, the importance of that is, I remember I bought both of those and ran home, and I think we had a little get-together over there. Remember, we used to, on my apartment at, on Runberg in North yeah. Austin, we used yeah. to have little get-togethers over there and hangouts, and, and, man, we listened to those records back-to-back for hours, and I remember that year, you were really into that and I think that that it influenced you somehow because it was like it was like Merciful Fate and even Queens Riper like they could write these kind of long songs and keep it very interesting and still be Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Deep Purple all in one band, you know, all in one song. And I think that the songs that we had that early, um if I need to give you some titles, uh, fighters to the fighters of the end. Remember that song, Billy. <laughs> we had a song called "Tricks of the Trade." Tricks of yeah. the trade. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there was an instrumental I think that you guys that you wrote called. This might embarrass you, Malayus Malificarum."
2: <laughs> oh yeah, Latin. That's Latin for uh, something. Yeah
1: hammer of the gods or something weird i don't know anyway there was a bunch of these early songs like basically there was a watchtower album before energetic disassembly that was very um i use the term loosely because a lot of people would disagree what watchtower you know they were those songs were a little more caveman than what we are you are really known for and i think that there was things happening in loud fast heavy metal music that were coming out that i uh, i talked to matt janowski every once in a while does that name ring a bell of course yeah and he was one of the big influencers in austin for uh spreading the word of a new hard rock and roll guitar based rock music and yeah and um He was an influence on you and the things you were listening to. And a lot of the song, a lot of the bands that Watchtower ended up covering, I think, that we found out about from Matt Janowski and his friends and such. Yeah. What do you remember about those days?
2: Well, that's when we started doing the big outdoor parties, right? Yeah. The big, uh, down at the lake. I remember these, we would build a stage. We would uh, make pyrotechnics out of coffee cans and gunpowder <laughs> <laughs> and, and we make our own light show you know and we that. still
1: have all of our fingers
2: yeah blow off our fingers and <clears throat> i know some of it was a bit dangerous Now thinking oh yeah thinking. but we do that all night keg, keg parties right and then um and that was pretty pretty wild <laughs> Pretty exciting. I I
1: recall us playing like every song that we could think of in our shows. We'd play like three and a half hours.
2: Three and a half hour shows. It was just, we we had limitless energy, I think. You know. Yeah. And wake up the
1: next day ready for more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Were you guys
0: ever, was Watchtower ever courted by a, a major or a bigger record label that and then the label just said, I, I don't even know what we do with these guys. So we're going to pass. Were you so confusing to even the metal labels that there was there was times when offers were maybe entertained and then didn't
2: kind of bear fruit? Not that I remember. Um, Jason, do you remember? You would you would know better than I do. It's I a, mean, It's a good by my lack of memory for a no, lot that's of no
1: That's all right. It's a really, it's a really good question because. Yeah, very good.
2: It, it, it was Bob, the guy in San Antonio who, who uh, had the studio that took, brought us into the studio there. 85, right? That's when we started recording.
1: No, er, earlier than that. Well, right, well 18, in, San, yeah. in San Antonio was uh, Bob O'Neill. Bob O'Neill. Bob
2: sort, O'Neill. sort of a record deal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was like a spec deal. Yeah. And, and so and then, first time going into the studio, they were recording the Butthole Surfers at the same time. So I remember uh, the Butthole Surfers were making an album uh, in the hours that we weren't in recording. And then sometimes we'd cross over. I remember Gibby and those guys doing some pretty wacky stuff.
1: Yeah, that's how we ended up. Uh, this is one question leads to a thousand answers, Dave. I'm just yeah. you finding that get, out. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> there, it's all, it's very, yeah. uh, anyway, um, the, the, the moment that Billy is talking about would have been probably late 83, like 83. Summer, summer 83, late summer. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the san antonio slayer guys were the, uh-huh. the key and the invite because me and billy and who i mike solis or you know yeah we went down to san antonio and hung out with ricky warheight and his friends and dave mclean and and hung out in bob catlin's van all day and ate at the very first taco cabana and blah 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 <laughs> Uh, Billy, Billy Dave's from San Antonio, so he's going to know the area. Anyway, the uh, it was on um, San Pedro, I believe, Bob O'Neill Sound Studio by the Zoo. And yeah. we, we were in there recording. We were almost done, and they were still in there mixing a song, but they were releasing a compilation record, Cottage Cheese from the Lips of Death. And <laughs> they needed one yeah. more song that's a little short and then i think rick Shreves, who was the engineer on those right. those sessions rick was great really nice he was putting up the tapes and uh a little bit of meltdown the song meltdown came on and uh paul leary and Gibby haynes as far as i recall because we're talking 40 years ago now uh he he's he's like um hey, what, what's that? The buttholes guys were like, well, what was that? And he goes, oh, that's it's Watchtower. It's these guys, it's these kids right here. And dah, 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 dah. It's like, oh my God, we got to put that on the record. Can we? And it's like, the, boom, we're on a yeah. record. It was like, it was literally like that. They yeah. just heard, da, dan, 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 you know, and all this craziness. And they were like, oh, we got to have that. And it's the last record on um, a punk rock compilation. Caught us you from the lips of death, a punk, a hardcore punk rock compilation. A tex I'm sorry, a Texas hardcore punk rock compilation or something like that.
0: Featuring the debut of Watchtower.
1: Yeah. And it kind of changed, it kind of changed things and brought in a lot of new interest.
2: Hmm. Uh So I remember doing a lot of shows with some of the punk groups. uh, Yeah eri in dc yeah big uh, boys big boys offenders yeah exactly thanks that was a lot of fun because that was very exciting the the mosh pits and the stage diving uh, the shows yeah. at the
1: Our early early crossover billy that's, cro- that's yeah. crossover and and that was before learned,
2: i that's i think what we were doing that the hardcore bands uh were the excitement of, of all of that just crazy fast 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 high tempos and everything yeah um well we energy,
1: energy, energy oh. and angst and you know things that that hardcore music had in it we had in it they had political themes some of the lyrics you and doug these <laughs> were writing were also political politically fueled so it was actually a great fit. Some common uh, ground. Yeah. yeah, common ground on subject matter and energy, and whether it be angst or views or just feelings about what was happening world, you know, globally, uh, lyrically, worked really well. Now, Back to your question, Dave, uh, and, and Billy kind of <laughs> handing it to me for a second. I forgot the question. <laughs> no, the question was label interest.
0: Oh, right, right.
2: Label interest. Yes. I don't remember if there were labels.
1: Well, I think that, that it was, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, um, anyone in the room, Correct. Correct me if you know yeah, that that. I'm
2: wrong. <laughs> Did we have that kind of ambition to get signed? Yeah. Ones? See, Not- that's
1: what. That's where I was going. Was it like something that was uh, we were wearing on our sleeve? Like, hey, we're good. You should sign us. Hey, are, you know, were we showcasing for labels? Were we sending demos out to people? The idea of of recording a demo, we were attracted to. I remember recording our first demo with some of those older titles. And I believe that you and Doug basically kiboshed it. Like you didn't like it.
2: Is that right? I don't remember. I feel like that. You know, this, this is kind of over our, uh, for most of my creative life, I usually am not satisfied and always want to do, you know, move on to the next thing and, and, get better and get better so there was a drive to always improve and and uh move on to something that's respectable evolve very quickly you know but the the downside of that is that sometimes i, I didn't follow through on certain things so yeah that
1: that, I, ha- you know, that can happen to perfectionists can it billy
2: yeah and i don't know that i would say i'm a perfectionist just kind of uh there's a certain restlessness or a certain uh, hunger to continuously evolve and sometimes faster than uh, the audience can keep up with you (laughs) right right (laughs) (laughs) uh, to,
1: to move on there there wasn't the ambition to you know be rock stars by way of getting a record deal and moving to hollywood we're not anywhere in our no no i I wasn't
0: saying i wasn't suggesting that you guys were i know that that
1: we're actively
0: seeking it out but what i'm what i'm saying is it was you know the album came out in 85 and so by well, yeah, then,
1: after that, you mean after we had recorded? You mean I, I thought you meant earlier days? No, no, I mean after okay.
0: you recorded. So the album is out, the band is starting to be recognized by your peers. You're certainly making a name for yourself in the underground. Was there ever a point when a label like a Megaforce or a Combat or somebody came to you and said, "We're interested," but man, you guys are just too technical. We don't even know what to do with I this. Think,
1: I think you kind of answered it. Uh, I think. Metal Blade or someone like that? No, I I uh, Metal Blade. I went out to Metal Blade. There was William Howell. I, I know you remember William Howell. I would hope that you do. DJ Will is what he goes by now. He was working at Metal Blade and then he went to Capital. But uh, the the point that I'm really making is I you know I I would had befriended him and you know I was I would always send him any update we had, but it never metal blade didn't come to the party uh it wasn't even really like i was shopping because i didn't know what that meant we didn't have a lawyer or management really yeah. i guess we did by way of fred uh mitchum yeah who fred
2: still- <laughs> and, and we created a label zombo records
1: that's right that's right and that so, yeah. that helped. he helped things get or or seem to be a little bit more legit by him saying, well, let's make a record and put it on our own little label and we'll just use our own money and we'll, you know, yeah. like perception is everything right now when you're when you're DIY and and you know, let's make our own party and people will show up and and he was right and it they did and it was great. But again, Dave, I don't think that there was ever any real interest until, late in the game after like it would have been eighty eighty seven, 87 like right after Billy White left the left the band yeah let yeah. me let
0: me turn the question inward then good so did you guys ever in rehearsal did you guys ever look at each other and go dude that's even that's even too weird for us that time signature dude it's just too crazy
2: <laughs> i don't think we did i think we
0: <laughs> he just really ran fun.
2: with everything, right? <laughs> well, sometimes it was it was kind of like an inside joke. I think the one thing that, uh, I mean, there was a lot of inside humor. We were trying to make each other laugh sometimes with how, how wild. It was very fun to do really complex music that I think was you know, hard for even us to really grab a hold of. But we pushed the kept pushing the boundary mm-hmm. a little bit further and further. And we had really developed something by playing together. Um, where we almost had a certain telepathy. you know, now thinking back, I, I kind of wonder how did we actually write that stuff? May I? I mean, sure. I mean, <laughs> maybe you have some insight. Wait- no, I like, I like
1: what you were saying about you guys. It, it, I, I just picture you, Rick, and Doug together, whether I'm just a fly on the wall or right outside the door or in the, whatever, or just standing, you were right there. standing you in were... the room with my jaw open and like Doug going, okay, now six, you know, and you play the same little uh, movement. Okay, now let's do three, right? Okay,
2: that's what okay. I remember. Okay, we 13, actually, you know, you were... and...
1: You guys would change the math on a part you would play over and over and over every time. And then you guys would fall out laughing and I'd be standing there going, what in the hell are you guys doing?
2: (laughs) We actually got the phone book and uh, we would just go through phone numbers. You know, there used to be this thing called phone book, a big, thick book, (laughs) pages of phone numbers. (laughs) And so we'd go through phone numbers and make uh, musical parts based on just random phone numbers, you know, and uh it was some kind of a, a cerebral exercise that was very satisfying at that time, you know. So um,
1: hold on a second, Billy, just <laughs> hold, hold your horses for a second. So Dave, are, you, are we talking are about you, time signatures? Are you fi- like, yes. Are you, finally, <laughs> are you finally starting to see what I was involved in and dealing with? <laughs>
2: Through, I'm so sorry. This <laughs> is some
1: sort of like sorcery that was new to me, uh, the the headbanger. You know, I'm wearing a Twisted Sister shirt and these guys are speaking witchcraft. Right? <laughs> right. So
0: I want to get this straight. You're looking through the phone book and just pulling random phone numbers and then creating time
2: signatures out of those numbers. Is that what I'm time hearing? Time signatures and uh, scalar patterns and, um, you know... <laughs> You know who took it a step further and and really blew my mind was Ronnie, who took my place in Watchtower. He's kind of a a wizard of mathematical musical equations. Mm. But uh, it was kind of, for me for a while, really exciting. And Doug and Rick as well. Um, Very exciting to take random numerical kind of codes and make music out of it you know now i don't remember as well how we were doing it it was a little bit <laughs> uh, some sort of new language we were creating you know thank yeah, um, you um yeah i guess that's a good way to say it we were really trying to write a new language a new musical language um uh, you know not that i mean there are people like zappa frank zappa who are you know was a genius in that realm um and other people um who else in that, in that world you know certain other progressive rock or jazz artists
1: yeah that's it's probably but, nothing new to some people who who you know who, who play music like that this, right but in yeah, the context yeah. of
0: heavy metal, it was it was relatively new. Anyway, I mean, you had your Rush and Yes and you know bands like that. But in the context of thrashing heavy metal, uh, yeah. the Watchtower was kind of relatively new. That sound was kind of new, right? Well, and we were in eleventh grade.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're just kids, and we we're uh, you know a lot of it was really funny and exciting. We we had a lot. We laughed so much. That's one of the things I when I think back is how much we, we like to laugh and, and just make ridiculous jokes about everything. And we considered ourselves really kind of anarchists, you know, mm. like against everything. We we're kind of anti everything. And we were going to really prove that we were, you know, we could do things no one else could do. <laughs> I feel like
1: that, I feel like that is what was kind of a secret energy Mm -hmm. behind what, and and not to discredit myself or Rick, uh, especially Rick, uh, because no one plays like Rick Kololuka. In all my years, I've never, I mean, like Bobby Jarzombek and Dave McClain are Texas you know, drummer gods that we have so much respect for, they both would agree that no one plays like Rick, but not to look back to what I was saying, not to discredit other members, but you and Doug, Doug Keezer, I feel like were these two sort of Lex Luthors or sort Last of time. the sort of villainous <laughs> it's us it's we're gonna you know we're gonna take over we're gonna do it our way and and nobody you know um and, and this sort of like um i almost said pass yeah passive aggressive <laughs> kind of like i'm not really but you know a uh, way of uh, changing the musical landscape um and i feel like we you guys did it and and influenced the world i mean we could kind of spin our wheels and talk about this forever do you remember um that quote that was on the back of our first real t-shirt. Remember those white shirts with the fallout shelter and black on the front with the old squirrely logo? And on the back, it said, we are forming an alliance to overthrow and annihilate the presence. Wait, we are forming an alliance to overthrow and annihilate the presence of songs that lack integrity and music. Creation, the sole purpose of material reward. Wow. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I remembered that
0: mouthful. Yeah. I can't believe I I
1: remembered that that is from the mind of this gentleman right here.
2: You are amazing. Yeah. You know, we thought we were very important. We were trying to be very important. You know,
1: we Uh, were young uh, and dumb little. No, we we uh, were young
2: and dumb. Right. (laughs) Do you ever know when you're, when you're young and self-important and trying to make a bold statement, you know, um, I think we've all done that. And in fact, it's funny to go back to all of this because I think most people probably have memories of their high school years and making some bold statement where they thought they were really, you know, profound or prophetic. Yeah. And uh it's it's kind of hilarious now to look back. But you know, you have to have compassion for these these young yes. characters their self-importance and their, you know, and then th- to certain people who, you know, listen to the album as, and still think it's a, a kind of a milestone, you know, something transmits and there's something shared and something yeah, universal and, and uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to know. <laughs> yeah. But that, but that, that's... You know, we really weren't thinking about it. We were just going for it.
1: But that anger, that sort of angered sounding statement that's literally printed out in that paragraph on the back of an effing T-shirt. Yeah.
2: I mean. What does it mean?
1: You're not not holding anything back, but it goes with your anti-everything.
2: Right? We were and we were very anti, you know, commercial pop music at that time. You know, we wanted to, we, yeah, we were anti everything. We were and growing up in Austin and being surrounded by a lot of, of uh, roots music and blues music, we wanted to really stand out and make a statement right? that we, were we were. I think we were.
1: I think we were a little little mad that maybe I felt like i'll speak for myself but i know it went around the room yeah that the uh the local entertainment uh scene if you will was not recognizing any any punk rock or heavy metal or anything that we thought was uh oh. vi- viable or worthy of some attention um even though i will add that all of the bands that fit under the umbrella i just described were doing pretty damn good I mean, all of the punk, the punk scene was healthy in Austin. It was healthy. Yeah.
0: Did you guys yeah. ever consider relocating to San Antonio? Because San Antonio, as you know, was known as a heavy metal stronghold. And there was a scene there. And you guys were peers with a lot of those bands. Uh, was there any thought to, hey, let's go to San Antonio. They have shows and there's other bands we can pair up with. Or
1: Well, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't. Drop out until eighty four, Dave. So, yeah. So I didn't, we, uh, I didn't want to change my high school.
2: Uh, my parents we, wouldn't
1: we, let me change my high school. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you just, just stopped having
2: one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still lived at home, right? Well, until Jason, you you were the first to mm. get your own your place on Runberg. Huh? Yeah, my mom moved out. I got myself
1: another place. You just start paying the rent here. Okay. Well, that was a way to learn something, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: So, so, Billy, what what ultimately led to you leaving Watchtower? Good question.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and Jason, I, I was thinking back, you know, getting ready to, to have this conversation. I, I was... yeah. Memory and I remember sitting in the car out of the, the house. It was Doug's house in South Austin, right? Where, where we were rehearsing in those days. And we had a long got in the it car was, for. A yeah, long-
1: yeah, Doug and Doug and uh, and Rick lived on R- Rock Ridge or something like that. That's the name of that street.
2: Yeah, South Austin. Uh, so I think it was really that I just wanted to play other kinds of music. Um, I wanted to do simpler music and play funk. There there were some, I think even at that time, you know, there were some other bands that uh, I had recorded with or was considering recording with and I just, I don't know, I was kind of burnt on playing such complex music and I wanted to play something a lot simpler. Let,
1: and, me ask, um, let me ask you this real quick, and then you can continue. Were you all of 19 or so? Was I
2: 19? I think maybe 18.
1: 18. Yeah, I mean, I'm just asking, do, do you recall? Well, it would have been in 86. How old were you in 86? 20, but,
2: 20? But I, oh. 86. It seems like I was uh, younger than 20.
1: 19. That's That was my guess, 19. So. Yeah.
2: Okay. That sounds about right. And so I, um, yeah, there were some other bands that I was interested in playing with. I was listening to so many kinds of music that I didn't really want to just be, you know, play heavy metal or even, uh, distorted electric guitar. I wanted to play funk. I wanted to play blues. I wanted to play, get into playing, um, jazzy stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh going to the studio record with other people Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm trying to remember now but it just suddenly one day it's like i woke up and i was like i don't want to play this kind of music anymore i feel
1: like you might you might have been being i don't think courted is the right right thing right i i mean i don't know where are you being asked for other people to hey come come lay some tracks down over here and you know that was was happening wasn't it
2: yeah i'm trying to put it together in the timeline i mean very quickly after i left watchtower i remember that we went to san francisco yeah that's
1: october october 5th and 6th of 1986
2: 1986 okay that was the last show right in in san francisco so we did that in a van all the way out to san and i felt really kind of bad for leaving like I was letting everyone down and I remember uh feeling really kind of like an outsider particularly it seemed Rick and Doug were were kind of angry that I was leaving <laughs> but um,
1: maybe I just I just think that that you guys being so close had more to do with it than them losing guitar player I think that it you know in Deep seated, unconscious. I'm um, they're losing my friend. This is my friend. I'm losing my friend. He's not gonna be on my team anymore.
2: Yeah, it was like a family a family yeah. step or something, you know? And uh so I and it, maybe it was my own feeling about it. I, I just felt a little bit on the yeah, outside. I mean,
1: some of it could have been on you. I know that I was trying to be as sort of peacemaker uh, neutral uh not angered uh, uh definitely n- not happy but uh, not not mad at anyone or anything especially you for wanting to grow that's yeah, how, I, that's how i that's how i choose to remember it
2: so the feeling of letting everyone down and uh mm. so I remember agreeing that we had that one show there. So going to do that. And then it was pretty soon after that, I went into the studio with a few different people who were making records and, you know, got to play with a lot of really interesting musicians. Um, Will Sexton. Comes I, I went, you know, so Will Sexton... Uh, before that, even I joined Dino Lee's band. It was like a yeah. James on Vegas review. It was, that was a blast. And, no, I, you think, know.
1: I think they're doing, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because our so our listeners know to go look for it. Dino Lee's White Trash Review might have gone under Dino's <laughs> Love Johnson. Uh, there's probably a couple of different things you can u- go look on YouTube and you can see a very young Billy White. Uh, oh, really, the- yeah, there's video. Yeah, oh. <laughs> did they make you wear some costumes, or did you just kind of we dress were, kind of rocker
2: stuff? No, we wore all kinds of wacky costumes. You know, That's uh, I mean. it was a total freak show, and it was really fun. Uh, is
1: it, and is it true that is it true that Bobby Rock, Bobby Landgraf, sort of got yeah. you into that?
2: Tell us how that happened. Bobby also played, and I think it may have been through him. I'm having a hard time remembering that. But we one point we were both playing, which was really a blast. And uh, the rhythm section was amazing. You know, he had picked all the best players from around Austin, some of the very best. And it was a huge band, you know, like 10 people on stage, a full horn section. And the shows were so wild. Um, So wasn't yeah, Margaret,
1: Margaret Moser from the Chronicle, was she singing back up for a little bit? I
2: did, yeah. And um, so that, we did that for a while and we made a record that got released in Europe. Um, and then around the same time, Will Sexton, his band, he had just signed with MCA Records. So David Grissom, an um, incredible guitarist and Austin, who a lot of people might know, um, had made a record with Will, but then he was touring with Joe Ely. So Will was about to go on the road, needed a guitarist. um, And I went to record one song for that album that came out on MCA. And then we went on the road for several months with a big budget, you know, so we had a nice bus, nice hotels. First tour... You know, at that level of, of a certain amount of comfort, yeah. nice to have us and everything. And um, yeah, so you're, was... on, you're on a roll. What
1: What do you think? Right. So you come back from that? Did did the will? It was Will and the
2: Kill is under will the, and the yeah. 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 And then that band, he went on to get some other members and and kind of fired that whole band and started started a new incarnation of that. And then, um, I played with several other people, made some different records, a guy named Jay Aaron, uh, yeah. in Austin. I, I joined his band for some time. And, uh, and then it was around 89. Uh, so this is a funny story. A lot of people talk about, uh, sometime around that I had made cassettes of myself playing, you know, guitar just kind of instrumental shredding cut type stuff
1: if you squint you might be able to see those on the shelf behind me
2: oh gosh you have you have one of those I'm pretty sure i have a couple of them yeah well i put my phone number you know it was my parents yep. number um and i gave those out to whoever i thought might four, be four in-
1: five four five two five six six eight
2: yeah I <laughs> That's it, isn't it?
1: That's the phone number.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Please don't. Anyone try calling that number? I have no idea what.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't. I, yeah. No. We don't live there anymore. So,
2: (laughs) So what came out of that? So, this one tape that I ended up giving to the guitar tech of Warren D. Martini of RAT, uh, that tape miraculously found its way to Don Dawkins' hands who popped it into a, a tape player as a cassette and was listening to it going wow i need to call this guy this kid who's playing guitar on here and um calls my parents house i wasn't living there anymore but they got through to me and suddenly i'm talking to this guy who won't tell me who he is at first um who says he has a band in la a band that's quite well-known that's breaking up and he's going to start a new project. He said, I'd like to fly you to LA to write some music. And I'm thinking, wow, who is this? Who is this? That's By the end of that. That's patient, surreal.
1: That's surreal. That, that some guy, hi, you don't know me, but I want to fly you to LA.
2: Yeah. That's <laughs> cool.
1: somebody. I, want to go, I want to go back another thing and just sort of have fun with this. Okay. So, so. So I know who you're talking about, right? But this person, and I'll just say it. It's Don Dawkins. So Don Dockin is calling, talking to your mom. Hi, it's Don Dockin. Is this Billy's mom? Hey, what's up? I know Bill. Okay, so Billy doesn't live there anymore. So she I'm just called.
2: trying, to, I'm just trying to fathom
1: your mom talking to Don Dockin. <laughs> it's just it's just surreal. It's yeah, just yeah. like yeah. what?
0: It doesn't make well,
1: sense your that. mom talk to James
0: Hetfield, right?
1: No. So it, no. The, no, she didn't. James well, left a, a voicemail on my mom's answering machine. The, okay. one with the little micro cassettes. Yeah, that's. So, that's so Doc,
0: Don Dockin calls you and, yes. and he's not letting you know who he is. So that's pick great. up the story from there. He's telling you that he's a well-known guy starting a new project. Where does it
2: go from there? Um, well, he said he couldn't tell me because his band is still, they're touring on the Monsters of Rock tour, I guess it was and uh, it's funny because I had been watching MTV watching them, you know, and I, I really liked George Lynch's guitar playing and I thought oh, that'd be a cool band, you know I'd love to be playing that kind of stuff in that kind of a band and I liked uh, Warren Demartini of rat a lot as well so, you know, this the thing was and this is where I moved on from the Watchtower thing, I, I just kind of wanted a more straight ahead, more melodic kind of playing um well after playing random phone numbers yeah yeah there was something about it that i was drawn to um and so don is talking to me on the phone and i'm thinking well yeah i guess uh we could talk further or, you know, when do you want me to come to LA? And then he finally, at the end, he says, okay, you can't tell anyone, but this is Don Dockin. I said, oh, wow, yeah. Hey, I've been watching you on MTV, man. (laughs) Yeah, sure, I'll come to LA. I'd love to get together. And he said, I wanna write some songs and kind of do an audition. And so I was the first person he contacted for his new new project. So then I flew out there a couple times, we went in the studio, wrote some stuff together. I was having a very strange thing at that time though, I had some kind of carpal tunnel or something in my left hand. So I was a little bit impaired and my guitar playing was suffering. and I think also at the time, I was just a bit nervous going out there and really wanting to make a good impression. And so um, I had some tension in my hand. And uh, the first time out there didn't go as well as I had hoped. But we wrote some interesting stuff. And so he, he wanted me to come back out again. Um, and I was having some treatments on my arm for a type of carpal tunnel or uh, something that was hindering my left-hand movement.
1: I remember even when you were still in Watchtower, which would have been like maybe the last year in the group, you you were, you That's were in, you were into Tiger Balm.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You were using salve, and I don't That's know. The- I think you were just you were using you know holistic stuff. So
2: yeah, there was some uh, some kind of a. Strain tendons or tendonitis. you know i had some kind of tendonitis in the left hand mm-hmm. so i had to deal with that and but then he wanted me to come out again and you know the next thing i knew he was putting the rest of the band together he had john norum uh coming from sweden and john john norway actually but you know he was in the band europe yeah quite well known and uh when he came out, we, we started playing together and it really was, it worked well, you know. Awesome. A two guitar, we could do harmonies and things. We did this kind of two guitar approach. And then uh, Nicky, we had gone through several drummers and bass players um, trying to find the right match. We even started recording the album with uh, other drummers, bass players. Wow. But John and I were early on, the two guitar uh, formation of that band. How do, you remember,
1: do you remember the first time you you met Mickey D? This is kind of a pop quiz, Bill. Oh, man. Do you remember the first time? Well, maybe you didn't meet him. Remember that. So so, let me just intervene. So, Watchtower, <laughs> you and because I, I... We, we opened for King Diamond at the Ritz in 1986. Oh, yes. Before... Mickey was from the yeah, Mickey D was on drums in King Diamond's uh Fatal Portrait album touring. Well, Mickey was on a bunch of those King Diamond records, but the point is this, we were on you we were in the room with Mickey D before he was a household name. Okay. Right. And so and so fast forward to, you know, through the end of 86 and all through 87, I'm going to not correct you, but make sure you realize it's 88 that you're getting these calls from don and that you were going in and out of la
2: and it's so time is so strange i, I yeah. guess the time is you know it's kind of a blur and yeah. a lot of things happening uh, very quickly
1: you know what's interesting um this is piggybacking exactly that from the time that you and i met which would have been in may of 1982 82. To like, let's just say May of, let's just call it eighty-eight. That's not very long.
2: Not very long. It's a flash, you know. All in fact, all flash. Yeah. So,
0: so when you when you're when you're in Don Dawkins' band, you were talking earlier about you know you had a tour previous to to Dawkins that you had a bus and there was a certain level, of upgrade in comfort levels, if you will. So when you're out with Dockin. I imagine that's probably uh, you know, tour buses and hotels every third day or something like that. And, you know, probably living fairly large at the time and play in the crowds that, you know, Don's got a built-in audience. So did you like that lifestyle or or did you or were
2: there things about it that was kind of like awkward and un- uncomfortable for you? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, what I can say is that. Yes, it's very exciting. It felt like stepping into, you know, a rock star fantasy and uh and there was a lot of uh expectation also, I think. I felt, you know, having to step up to fill some big shoes. You know, George Lynch was quite uh an, an incredible guitarist. Right. Is an incredible guitarist. Yeah. And by uh, the way, let's not leave out Peter Baltes on bass. So Peter, man, Peter. When Peter came on, so if I go back to meeting Mickey and Peter, what I can remember is it was really in the studio that we're in the process of making that album. We had different people filling in as the rhythm section, and when uh, when Mickey came on board, and then when Peter came on board. That rhythm section was ridiculous. I mean, they were like an unstoppable tank. You know, I mean, it was very powerful. And and so playing live, that band was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and Peter, man, what a solid, unstoppable force yeah. of a band. So- and. Uh, and good guys, all these guys, we got along great, you know, we became kind of a family, but it was interesting because, it, and it was promoted in this way, it's sort of an international band, right? Mm-hmm. Peter from Germany, Mickey from Sweden, John from Norway. And then they made me out to be the Texas kid. Yeah. I was the youngest uh, of everyone, you know, and I did feel kind of like a kid who was new to this level of, of notoriety all those guys have been in quite well-known dance
1: so i don't know if it was while you were uh making the record or or out or in los angeles area still writing songs but in the meantime your homeboy was yeah. Bobby, and i was right. living in burbank and right. and somebody my home my, my homie <laughs> was up to no good and wouldn't tell me why he was coming to Los Angeles. Talking about you needing a place to crash. You remember crashing on me and Scotty's sofa for a few nights at the Oakwoods in Burbank?
2: I remember coming to visit you, but I, did I crash there? I don't I think remember. You, that. I think
1: you crashed there a couple couple nights.
2: Huh? Why would that? And I didn't tell you were you
1: staying no you couldn't you uh, you swore me to secrecy or, or you you were sworn to secrecy you couldn't tell me and scott who you were you wouldn't tell me <laughs> who you were either writing or recording with i don't remember it would have been like late 88 it would have been like november because we were in the studio with max norman if we i
2: stay were- right and i remember hanging out i don't remember crashing with you guys but if i did it was just because i wanted to hang out
1: hang out you know, yeah did, you may you may have uh, only stayed one night I, I i seem to remember or like to remember it that you hung out uh for a couple of days uh, i was you, homeless you were kind of coming and going though it wasn't like <laughs> yeah. you didn't have a place to go maybe you just wanted to yeah wanted to hang out for a night or something
2: yeah that was that was but fun you
1: but you wouldn't tell me and scott who you were jamming with
2: oh man i'm sorry I, no i, I don't did, care a a the secret
1: Added to the intrigue, I
0: was like, "Yeah." Wow. So, so for the record, you ended up on the Don Dokken album "Up from the Ashes," and that record came out right. on, on Geffen Records, and you know that's a major label. Uh, so, you mentioned earlier that there was heightened expectations when you're at that level, and I would imagine yep. if you're signed to Geffen Records, a guy coming from Watchtower who's now on Geffen mm-hmm. <laughs> Records and and playing with a guy who's already got an audience what are some of the expectations that you're talking about and, and what are some of the downsides of being at that level?
2: I mean, I can, <clears throat> yes, but I want to hear from the guy who lived it. Oh, well, these are good questions. Um, well, I wanted to make establish myself as a guitarist in that style and that, in that realm, you know, and, uh, hit something and play something that was unique. Um, I put a lot into that record. And I wrote the majority of the music, all the riffs and everything, you know, Don and I wrote most of that album. Uh, John came on board, wrote a few of the songs, but it was really Don and I, he, Don himself kind of would mention that, you know, a lot of people are going to be expecting, you know, a lot from whatever record we put out. I think he felt the pressure of you know there was a little bit of a rivalry between between him and George, mm-hmm. so I was aware of that and um for a little while i you know it felt a little bit like a weight to bear, but then after a while, I didn't care as much, you know, and I was confident that we were we had some good songs um, you know John was known John Norm was known as uh this great guitarist, which he really was, and um So people thought that he was the lead guitarist, but we really split it kind of half and half. And a lot, I think maybe I may have done even more of the lead guitar on the album overall. But, um, you know, since I was kind of unknown to that audience, I felt a little bit of wanting to make a statement or or prove something, you know. And you had asked earlier about that lifestyle, stepping into that lifestyle. It was it was a wild roller coaster ride and, and very exciting. And around, it was at that time that I started feeling a little bit of the a certain uh, restlessness or, or um, disillusionment with that kind of life. And even seeds were already there. This is this is kind of the, the theme, maybe, of my musical career: the seeds of already. Moving on in a sense had had started and uh, wanting to leave the world of, of playing music, you know, and uh, I don't know the the excess of that life in that world um, left me with a, a sort of an empty feeling, you know, at times. So let's
1: let's let's move on because I feel like we've kind of covered all that and. Um, and the successes and and how you were feeling uh, about that um, are great. You've made great points. Uh, I, I wanted
0: I wanted to ask one last question because that lineup then it was it Billy. It wasn't just Billy that left Don Dock and that whole lineup was gone after that record. Correct. that's correct? right. That's so correct. yeah, so so why did that ultimately end? And then we'll move on. Okay.
2: Yeah, you know. That record came out at a time when I think that style of music was really not in fashion anymore. I remember Nirvana's album coming out and it seemed like it just shifted the whole musical landscape. I thought that was a great record and uh, I found it really refreshing. But I think Don had also gotten burned a little bit by the record company, uh, Changing Hands. Um, When that record came out. The, the I think the Geffen was sold to MCA, or there was some huge upheaval in the music business, so it didn't get the push that it really needed or deserved. And um, I think he was disillusioned by the whole thing because this was his big jump to his solo album, and you know, really making something on his own. Yeah. Uh, so that the, the whole thing just felt like it lost steam yeah and then i came back from the road the highlight of that whole experience was going to japan and uh oh. really wonderful playing japan and the fans there and everything uh it was very special and then we came back from that everybody was kind of exhausted from touring and some uh, disappointments on how the record was doing um, there was a lot of expectation, as I was saying. And I think Don kind of went into just a, a little bit of a rethinking the whole thing. And we all sat around and idled for a little while. And then he was starting to work on a, a next record, but it just wasn't clicking. So we so, all kind of went. Around.
1: I want to move, or, move around a little bit. I'm probably, yeah, go uh, ahead. I, I just wanted for, to put a period on the here, then. but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you came back to Austin at, yeah. at I don't want to say fairly quickly, but at some point you came you came home. Yeah, and you
2: it was ninety two.
1: Okay, and you wrote a couple of uh, you had a couple of different bands that played around here. You had some you were you were playing with your brothers. You were playing with. Steve Bernal, you were playing with JJ uh, Johnson. JJ Johnson, you were you you had you you had easily, I'll say, without issue. Like just hey, you want to come sing and you want to come play. You want to you know you just had friends that could would show up and help you uh, put together some music. Uh, whether it be Six is Nine, which is a project that you had, or the Billy White Trio. And I feel like you really, uh, when I listen to those records, I feel like you, it is a coming home. There, You were singing. You were, a lot of people didn't know that you could do that, Billy. Uh, you were You were fronting your own world after this sort of like crazy thing from like, I'll just say from, you're a young lad playing guitar from like 80, 81, just zippity dah all the way to like 92, like just over a decade and you're finally home doing your own deal. And, you know, there's no suppressing anything anymore. Now you have this sort of like, uh, hoverboard for you to like, let people sort of see who you are uh, lyrically um, and musically. And I I love those records and what you did with with family members, with people that you respect, people long time people. JJ was young. I remember JJ from San Antonio come to see Watchtower play in like (laughs) 85. And he's like 16. JJ
0: went to the same
2: high school as I did. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I just AJ a couple weeks ago. Nice, really good to catch up with him. Nice, he, he really had a, a a way of playing together. Like I think I haven't really had with anyone. He's he and I really had a connection and telepathy, and that That's and not
1: I, that's not a surprise to me at all.
2: Yeah, when we first started playing, it was just like, oh, this is the genre I've always been looking for. You know, like, you just knew right away. We knew where we were going. Like yeah. on the stop of a dime, you know, we could shift into something else. Well, aren't you, oh with John is he still playing with John Mayer? Oh no, he's uh that was a long time ago he he was playing with Tedeshi trucks oh right, the, right, 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 right. Gary Clark, jr, yeah, yeah. that's right, that's right. But going <laughs> yeah. back
0: to Jason's question, the, the Billy White Trio, or or you know anything when you come back to Austin, you now have a new level of creative freedom, to that's yours to explore. Um, what what did you uh, how? What kind of adjustment was that for you after you know on a, on with with Geffen and Don Dockin? You're probably there's probably boundaries. But now you can do whatever you want right and so where yeah. was your head what were you trying to say musically at that
2: time um at that time i mean i was listening to so many different things and i, I was interested in vocal harmonies i remember wanting to do something where we could do Uh, vocal harmonies. And I formed this band Six Is Nine with Mike Moyer, a really great singer. And we did kind of a... He was the lead singer, but we would do a lot of dual harmonies vocally, and that was really satisfying. And um, yeah, musically, anything was possible. And we had uh, Steve Bernal playing bass, a really wonderful drummer, Raphael Gayle, who played with a lot of people he was in Leonard Cohen's band for the last uh, several years Wow and so that band six is nine was 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 really something and uh we had we almost signed a major deal so you knew we were doing the South by Southwest conferences and released a couple of demos um but then I I same I wanted to be the lead singer at that point really just step out there and really give it a go. I felt like I had to and that was a big leap to be the front man and the lead singer. And um oh, at that time I was influenced by a lot of things like um Jeff Buckley, Chris Whitley. I was listening to some some very interesting singer guitarists who were stretching the boundaries. And uh, they were a big influence, Um, and I wasn't, you know, as interested in being a a guitarist just for guitar's sake, you know, really wanted to be about songwriting, finding new ways of playing the guitar, but chordally. So some of the Billy White Trio stuff has some very interesting chordal structure and even altered tunings and things. You know i was listening to sound garden and, and you know a lot of bands like that um and so billy white trio was really as far as rock and heavy music that was the most complete expression that i that i found you know i really because there was no limit to, to what we could do right. with a, With JJ, Steve on bass, later on Brian Walsh, who was in Soul Hat.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
2: That band was just uh, an amazing group of musicians. I felt like like we could stretch out and and go anywhere, you know, in a different way than Watchtower did.
1: Yeah, I was was going to say, you had already been to the other end. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you'd already been to the, the other end of the spectrum. You'd already stood on top of the sun and handled <laughs> it, and now you were ready to just go to the other side and see what it was like because you could.
2: Well, we always, I think that one difference is that the Billy White Trio, you know, is heavily groove-oriented, whereas Watchtower really wasn't much about what four you would four. call Groove really? Yeah. Wooden, sh- wooden four on the floor. No. no. And <laughs> that's a different expression of, of groove or rhythm.
1: I want to uh, I want to read something again if I if you don't mind. Yeah. Because we're in a good we're in a good place to start talking about where you are and what is actually in the mind of Billy White over the you, past.
2: Even. You guys really have good questions. Uh, um, well,
1: I got to give a lot of credit to Dave because he's the only yeah. journalist. He's the only journalist in the room.
2: <laughs> Good questions. I'm trying so, to, there's this up. article,
1: Billy, I, you, you probably don't read decibel magazine decibel magazine is this heavy metal magazine that I adore. I think it's one of the best magazines out there. The writers are incredible because they're fans. I want to read you something that came out about six years ago, uh, in decibel magazine listen to this this is imagine your 16 your 17 year old watchtower brain and we're in your bedroom under your iron maiden poster and you're playing the solo for you know black star by yngwie Malmstein and i'm going wow that was cool play it again oh, yeah. fast forward to this to this this is in decibel magazine thank you decibel magazine this article is called The top five most outrageous Watchtower moments ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love the opening paragraph. You got to read the opening paragraph.
1: That's what I'm reading. Okay. All of us at Decibel are highly popular human beings, which means we've never spent Friday nights sitting around inside listening to and analyzing Watchtower songs. Just kidding. We've totally done that. And those have been some of the best Friday nights of our lives. (laughs) I'm not done. To celebrate the recent release, and this is great, and I'm sure, Billy, you haven't heard this, but they really did a bang-up job, the guys in Watchtower, with Alan Teche on vocals on the last uh, record they put out, uh, which would have been that year in 2016, I believe, uh, called Concepts of Math, Book 1. Uh, This is, they say, uh, to celebrate the recent release of the Technical Progressive Thrash Band's new EP at the time, 2016, Concepts of Math, book one, quote, uh, I'm sorry, parentheses, have we mentioned we love Watchtower yet? In parentheses, uh, we thought the time would be right to look back at five times Watchtower absolutely, without question, completely blew our minds. So here we have it, the five most outrageous watchtower moments ever. Now, again, do you believe that you helped create are a founding member of the craziness that is that? No. In your <laughs> That's what I thought. So they just to go on, they mentioned the fall of reason mm-hmm. as number five, Asylum as number four from the first album. uh uh and then uh the third one mind-blowing moment of watchtower in watchtower history is May Day in kiev uh number two is uh violent change the opening track on energetic disassembly written by um, a person who's sitting at this campfire right now uh along with asylum and then um Number the number one uh, mind-blowing Watchtower moment, according to this article, was "Instruments of Random Murder." <laughs> we're talking about shit Billy White and Doug Kiser wrote when they were teenagers. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> this is in my favorite magazine. Only came out only six years ago. Can I read the? Yeah, yeah. Can please, please? Can I read the Asylum one? Okay. Can I read it? Because it just makes me giddy.
2: Yeah. Okay, vocal,
1: vocal lines from Asi- from the Asylum. That's what they call this bit, this little ditty. It says, "There's something about that vocal pattern from zero point fifty nine to one point eleven. That's the clock, the clock on the counter in the song of Asylum, the second song off of the band's debut, Energetic Disassembly. That is just mind boggling. It's slightly fingers on chalkboard." but it's also just slightly the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Vocalist Jason McMaster.
2: What? Fine wine. And that's your vocal, Jason, your vocal. Like a fine wine.
1: I'm going to (laughs) comment. Give me a second. It's slightly fingers on the chalkboard, but it's also just slightly the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Vocalist Jason McMaster absolutely going for it, channeling his inner King Diamond. (laughs) <laughs> then ramping up to that whole new level i'm pretty convinced that the reason there's a break in the vocals halfway through that 12 second run is because mcmaster goes to levels only dogs can detect <laughs> his vocal line directly follows billy white's insane quote guitar riff Insane all of which leads the listener on a frantic technical thrash race to the next psychotic part in this awesome song. Now, you said, Jason, that's your vocal, that's your vocal, but they corrected you, didn't they? And I was going to correct you, that it's your guitar that I'm harmonizing with. Oh, that's when you great. guys, when you guys, ree-tun-tun, 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 that's your guitar riff, and I decided in the studio, oh, what that's- if I sang a harmony to that? brilliant you're influencing my right i'm sure that you played the harmony too but when i sang on top of your your the third or whatever the fifth or whatever that was
2: yeah Yeah. so
1: thank you billy white thank you jason (laughs) for for getting my name in decibel magazine
0: Well, I think this goes back to something I was saying at the top of the show. You guys created something. You didn't know it at the time. But here's Decibel Magazine as recently as six years ago, totally nerding out to the point that, I mean, these guys actually know what they're talking about. You can tell they are hardcore fans who have studied those songs. So all these years later, there are people out there that still devour this stuff.
2: And I think that's incredible. I think they know it much better than I know it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well and there's something there's something real about that because i think we kind of started this conversation with like it's a lifetime ago it's like could it be that it's just part of who you really are that's sort of on a shelf back here oh yeah well like i can't get rid of it because it's a part of my life but let's talk about where you are right now billy let's talk about uh what what sort of gradually caused you to transcend I think I'm using good words to go into what you're into now with your, your, your healing, uh, and your, your beliefs and where you are now, because I think that I just want to give you the floor so you can talk about it.
2: Huh? Well, you know, I had a couple coherent ideas and now let's see. (laughs) it away and what i want to say is that uh, we've all had many lives i think in this one life right we've all sure man as many many characters we wear we've all worn many outfits um i, well, I think you
1: can i say that again do you remember the crap you used to wear on stage holy man what the hell were we wearing
2: we don't, we don't have to yeah revisit- <laughs> <laughs> well, we have pictures to embarrass ourselves. So. <laughs> yeah, but we've all worn many costumes. We've all worn many masks. I feel more than probably most people because I have many friends um, from the old days that I may have lost touch with. And it's it's uh, surprising to me now how many changes, how many transformations it feels that I've gone through. Yeah. Um, And there was a turning point, uh, and it was at the end of the the Billy White Trio, uh, the years that band, I put a couple of albums out and gone to Europe and toured. And I came off the road really burnt out and wanting to just quit playing music. What about,
1: real quick, Alejandro Escovedo? Didn't you go to Europe with Alejandro?
2: That was later. That's actually not so long ago. That's about 10. Okay. So this is what I'm talking about now is um, probably the year 97, 98. Coming back from Europe and being kind of burnt on just playing loud music and playing music in general. I didn't feel like I, I, I could quite express something that I was reaching for. And this is throughout you know, all of my time as a musician, I think I was always reaching for something untouchable in a way. So I came back from that tour, um, and so I also, throughout all these years, all of the '90s, I had been leaving tours and going into retreats, into silent retreats, mostly in a in a Zen center starting in the mid-90s, a Zen center in the mountains of New Mexico. And uh, I've been really studying books about meditation, books on Buddhism, for, you know, 25 years now, 30 years now. Um, it was around the time that I was in L.A. playing with Don Dawkin that I, I got very interested in meditation. There was a certain unrest and a certain dissatisfaction with life, I'd say. And at the same time that I was on this rock star trip, living out this very interesting experience, um, I knew there was something else. uh, And, you know, just a question about existence, a question about reality itself was calling. And so I was reading everything I could get my hands on going to these temples, uh, going into retreat, learning meditation, and uh, it was around in the late 90s that I just knew that was the one thing I felt I had to dedicate some time to. So I I left music, completely got rid of most of my instruments, sold and gave away a bunch of guitars, and went into solitude and silence. I I mean, not total solitude, I was in a zen center. Mm living with the monks and, you know, living a monk's life and um, just that was kind of like, okay, I'm done with music, I'm done with normal way of life. I just want to be in silence. I just want to really examine the mind. I want to examine consciousness, reality. Um, and then little by little music started seeping back in so that I was going to New York and working on some different albums. um, And people were calling me to produce music with them. I got really interested in flamenco guitar, interestingly, and even went to Spain for a while to study. So this was also kind of a pair. I really had felt like I was devoted to this, this way of walking the meditative life, um, devoting time to Buddhist practice and Buddhist study. But I also had this little fling with flamenco music, flamenco guitar. Went to Spain and then ended up living in Mexico for a a while where I got to sort of explore that, playing with different groups.
1: Uh, And you, if you don't mind me
2: interrupting you, you met your wife. I, my now ex-wife, I, <laughs> I was married in in Mexico. Had a son, a really wonderful son who's now eighteen, and an incredible. I'll have to say he's going to take, he's I'm passing the torch to him because he's he's really a great guitarist.
1: Tell us the quick story that you told me a while back about uh, you gave him that Stratocaster that Jeff Tweedy. My uh, yeah. friend jeff tweeted you gave that that Stratocaster. that's a kit guitar that i think that you had with you and john noram when you went to <clears throat> eddie van halen's house
2: oh yeah it's a custom built guitar by a guy named bill gibbets who's an amazing guitar builder right. and um that was my main instrument throughout all those years and so I gave that, I passed that along to Donovan, my son.
1: But you had Uh,
2: that with you.
1: Tell us a story about you and John taking some amps or something.
2: You remember that? Okay, so that was a a treat. We got to go hang out with Eddie at his house at the studio where uh, they had recorded a lot of the records, you know, uh, 5150 Studio, I think it's called. And so we hung out with Eddie for couple hours he played that guitar sounded exactly like him but, you know, we played a little bit together and mostly i just wanted to hear him play and listen to his stories it was really, but, that was but now
1: but now your son donovan owns that guitar
2: i know and uh it's a, an amazing instrument and, yeah. yeah a little bit of eddie's mojo in it yeah man okay cool good story Of wow. these stories you know sometimes uh, yeah what an incredible experience that was and uh, of course eddie was you know one of the great pioneers great musicians of all time mm-hmm. so we won now we're jumping forward fast forwarding to life in mexico i i started doing these gatherings of people with just listening to deep sounds. I had been collecting these Tibetan singing bowls and different instruments from all over the world from India, people had been in yoga groups had been asking if I would lead, you know, sound meditations or or singing mantras and things. So we started doing these circles that were like ceremonies of listening deeply to all kinds of sacred sounds. Which were, could produce a very deep uh transcendent experiences in altered states just through the sound itself wow that that took on a whole new life, and then i, I just felt, okay, this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing now. There were a couple of little um, excursions from that, like going on tour with Alejandro Escovedo, which was in two thousand and twelve, about six months, I went on the road with him, Wow. Uh, and that was just work. work Europe yeah it was kind of a sticking my foot back in the water and they called me I was living in Mexico they called me and I said I don't even have any electric guitars right now or <laughs> amps. and they said well we, we can get that stuff for you you know just fly to Austin and, and we'll, we need a guitar player for this tour we're going to go to Europe we're going to be on you know Jay Leno Jimmy Fallon shows so um, amazing! Wow! Yeah, that was that was fun. Was very straight ahead, very uh, rootsy rock. Yes, yeah. I've been friends with Alejandro from way back. Really, a good guy, He's gentleman. Great. He's a great guy, and has yeah. always been so sweet. Yeah. So on these on these occasions
0: when you dip your toe back into the music world, are you, do you, do you do you find that you you've missed it, or do you, are you reminded of why you left it?
2: I'd say both. <laughs> wow! <laughs> there is there was something. It had been such a long time that I stood it on stage with an electric guitar, with a wall of sound behind us. You know, it's a different kind of energetic expression and uh, a lot of fun to a point. And then I also found that I hit the limit very quickly of of what I was feeling or wanting to express. And I think to play that kind of music, there, there was a sort of a punk rock ethos in in what Alejandro was doing too. I mean, he's a wonderful songwriter, but he likes to get on stage and crank it up like the Stooges, you know. Yeah, you know, which
1: was- yeah he's, he's from that era. He's from that whole... Yeah, that's his background.
2: Yeah, his background <laughs> is that surreal, loud
1: yeah. MC5 kind of a vibe, you know? Yeah.
2: But he's the real deal when it comes yeah. to that. Yeah. I sometimes felt a little bit out of my element because I, and I even, after a show one time I told him, you know, I don't know if I have the right kind of feeling of, I don't know. It's not anger or just, it, you know, I feel a little bit too, maybe too peaceful to be playing this music. Yeah.
1: He wants to, I can he see wants that. He wants to set off fireworks and you know black cats and Roman candles, and you're like, ah, hey man, yeah, you know, I, I understand.
2: And I don't drink or anything, and I really. Yeah. Well, he also doesn't drink because he he's he and Bobby, the bass player, were recovering addicts. Yeah. So made that tour really possible is that those guys were not at all about drinking or drugs, and in fact, they were. We would look for the local Whole Foods to score our kale and quinoa. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, the and you know you probably helped them. Uh, you probably helped them dearly if they're recovering and you're sober. Then they were probably hanging with you, trying to they go. Would, oh, if I hang with Billy, I, I'm not gonna you know
2: fall yeah. off. Yeah. Are you? Two- um, we support yeah. each other in that. You know. Yeah. That's I, good. I never was an addict, but I I had quit, you know, using any kind of substances long ago. And, uh, so it was kind of nice to be on a healthy tour. Right. So, so you're talking somewhere. about Bobby. You're talking about Bobby Daniel, right? Daniel. Yeah. Yeah,
0: great guy. Yeah.
2: yeah. Another really solid, basically, really, really good guy. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, yeah, I know Bobby. I've known him for quite a
0: few years. I actually met him through Chris Gates.
2: Ah, uh, Chris. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that was a good band too. We, you know, it was very straight ahead, very simple music. But there's something to playing. And this goes back to, you know, I started to appreciate. It does take a certain skill to play very simple, even three chord songs. Yeah. With the Feeling, you know, and that's what I don't think we quite had a grasp of in the Watchtower days. It felt like we wanted to fill it up with a lot of complexity and a lot of notes, but it wasn't until later that I really appreciated, you know, what what it is about the Rolling Stones, or you know, very there's really something to playing playing it right, three chords, four four beat, and doing it right. It's almost more of a challenge because When I stepped into Alejandro's band, um, I kind of regained some of my chops on electric guitar, but I had to figure out, okay, how do I play within this context and make it meaningful, say something that, you know, is coming from me, uh, a genuine expression, but, you know, there's not a lot of room for really fast shredding kind of guitar. and so it's almost trickier to play a very simple well the the songs are not calling for that not at all and it sounds weird if i tried to do that so um when you have to leave some space when you have to just say something with a few words a few notes uh, you better make it you know make it mean something yeah the
1: the people that like to play fast and busy all the time they don't understand how hard it is to play slow with lots of negative space. It's mm-hmm. a good way and, to say it. Yeah, and it can become challenging and enlightening by leaving these giant gaping holes in the middle of your song map.
2: And that's an and, important part of music. Yeah. Uh, is uh, what notes are not being played? Yes. Contrasts, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, playing the right notes in the right way, and that's what I think. Maturity it comes with maturity, and maybe when you're young, you stretch out and you feel the boundaries. You play the most uh, complex thing you can think of. You really find out what your limitations are in that way, and then with maturity. You don't have the need to really fill up the space like that. And now, coming back to what I'm doing now, I would say that at times it's felt like, um, so I released several albums under the name The Heart is Awake. And a lot of that music is just droning on one note, one texture, but evolving soundscapes. And so sometimes I felt like, within the one note is all the notes and this this may sound kind of abstract or um hard to grasp but it sounds like
1: you're describing watchtower abstract hard (laughs) to grasp
2: yeah i've come back to that the whole (laughs) that's right but you know One thing that I explored a lot was overtone singing, where you sing one tone, like the the Tuven singers or the Tibetan monks do, you actually produce two or more notes with one voice. And so what you're doing is filtering the harmonics of one note. So within every vibration, uh, all the vibrations, all the octaves, and the other divisions of, of sound are present, but you can filter with the voice, you can filter it into these overtones, these harmonics. It's quite extraordinary. So this gets a little bit more into the, maybe the metaphysical aspects of, of sound and vibration. So just
1: real quick, does that, is that sometimes or is it exactly what they mean when they, they say throat singing?
2: So singing is a form of, okay. uh, of creating a low octave. Mm-hmm. And like the Tibetan monks do. Yeah. And some death metal singers do too, yeah. right? They do. You know? They do. Yeah. Um, so you can get very low uh, octave vibration. But I'm also talking about the harmonics that are produced when you shape the, the mouth, the tongue, the lips.
1: Yeah. Soft the- palate, hard palate where your tongue is how you're holding your
2: jaw you written. resonate in the head and you can create these uh higher harmonics which you start to realize exist in all sound and we're we're hearing them in a very subtle way but when you filter them out the way that i'm talking about it becomes you know really interesting to hear you can sing two notes at, at once and um then you tune into something a little bit more uh transcendent with with sound and so within the one sound all the sounds are included and i think this is kind of the holographic image of the universe within every molecule is the entire universe without without computers without computers this is this is the way Reality actually is, but we usually don't see it that way. (laughs) (laughs) You are correct. Unless you influence certain psychedelics or you're in a deep state of meditation, it's possible to have a certain glimpse of other levels of reality. Sure. I just consider that hallucination, but you know, this is a hallucination too isn't
1: it Right <laughs> on the talk louder podcast Yes yeah. we're all hallucinating here um, I would call I would call this your new music This yeah. is, this is your new music You're still a musician you whether you have an instrument in your hands
2: or not yeah, now the instruments, and I do use guitar still sometimes. Yeah, um, things like lap steel or twelve strings tuned to odd tunings. But you know, a lot of it comes from a, a music that I've always been in love with. I don't know if you remember in the Watchtower days. I, whenever I would hear Indian classical music, you know, sitar. Um, yeah exotic sounds of, of the East, Eastern music. I might
1: even, I might even remember uh, remember you sort of like modding your guitar just for fun, sticking things under the strings to get it to sound that way sometimes.
2: Oh, yeah. Just messing yeah.
1: around. I don't think you ever recorded anything or took it anywhere, but it was just for your own uh, suggest- subjective, um, subjective um, sort of experiment. And you yeah. were you were a kid too, so it was kind of early. Yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, your story, Billy, because you and your brothers, uh, in my fantastical brain, uh, are very, very talented. So, um, where do you think that all of this is coming from? Do you are your brothers? spiritual in some of the same ways you are because they're incredibly talented and if they're not using it in any way to make the world a better place shame on them (laughs) i'm kidding i'm not angry i'm just saying you guys are so talented i'm just putting a lot of gas in the tank i'm blowing hot air up all y'all's asses because i just i think that you guys are your brothers are talented just as you are are they uh are they doing anything with it
2: um, Chris has been continuing to record a lot of music. Um, awesome. Jason doesn't play as much, okay. you know, but but I can't speak about their spiritual life, but okay. I'm sure everyone has some kind of sure. sense of the spiritual. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think I'm the only one who's really, uh gone off to dedicate a a large part of my life to that and to the point that i almost left normal life entirely just to become a monk and uh devote all my time to meditation and
1: well uh i i i i respect you i respect yeah, thank you. And a lot of people, a lot of people are going to going to be with us and respect you as well. Um,
0: I think a lot of people, obviously, a lot of people already respect you as a musician. And I think uh, you, you've you been very open with us today. And I think uh, a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to uh, get a glimpse inside of Billy White today. And I think they're going to appreciate it. Uh, you're, you're a you're kind of hard to get a hold of. Uh, I don't know if we'd have you on the show if it wasn't for Jason being your bandmate. So I know, I know for a fact, there are a lot of people that are going to be very interested in this episode because they're Billy White fans, they're Watchtower fans. And I know that you're not the kind of guy that does a lot of these types of shows or whatever. You're, you're, you're fairly private. So we do appreciate you being with us today and sharing so much. Um, It was nice to get to know you beyond the music.
2: It was a real treat. And, uh, it, it took Jason a few tries to convince me. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I've enjoyed it. Very good questions. Awesome. Do, you, of, have, do uh, you have a cool.
1: website? Do you have a website? Uh, you have a Bandcamp account. There's people can just Google you. I mean, you're, you exist. Oh but yeah! It, it, it tell us, tell us how people can look into you, what you have going
2: on. People can go to theheartisawake dot and uh, also on you know the social media, Instagram, Facebook places. Although I, I'm not so good at keeping up on that always. And then on Bandcamp, the Heart Is Awake is I think I have eight or nine albums out now. Unreal. But it's, it's a uh, very meditative, very ambient, sometimes experimental and strange music. I think people might find it very interesting, but it's pretty far away from, you know, the, the music we were making in, in our high school days, Jason.
1: But I'm going to bring this up again. Very progressive.
2: Yeah, I think it's. It's something I mean, for people who are fans of Brian Eno, Steve Roach, ambient music, they'll really, I think relate to it. There's also an amazing band that originally was out of Texas called Stars of the Lid. That's wow. quite quite brilliant. I think they're now in Europe, but they were based in Texas for a while. So there were some bands doing pretty far out experimental, ambient, cinematic, types of music and i've been doing more of that uh, working towards uh, film music and i've had some of the thing the heart is awake music is in some shows and soon awesome. uh, more more to come um so some of this music is quite cinematic quite uh, it's a journey it's a journey uh, the the realms of consciousness and altered states of consciousness i think
1: at times well if it's if it's not a journey i I don't want to hear it yeah (laughs) yeah
0: the heart is awake everyone can look that up and find billy white's latest music At the heart is awake billy so nice of you to join us today man a real pleasure getting to know you i'm glad we finally got introduced uh by way of jason it was great talking to you Uh, I'm going to go ahead and thank you now on behalf of all my Watchtower friends uh, for the great album that is Energetic Disassembly. I hear about it all the time. To this day, people still hold it up as like a masterpiece. So congratulations to both of you and thanks for being on the show today. On behalf Mm -hmm. of my co-host Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our very special guest today, the ever-gracious Billy White on the Talk Louder podcast.